You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, first, the magnificent mother, Mrs. Cassie Bryant. How you doing today, Cassie? I'm doing great. It's January. It's a new year. It's a new year and a new season. I'm not trying to read the Bible this month in one month. Oh, like yeah, I last year you did the Bible binge, right? Yeah, I, I resisted the temptation to do it again. Is this confession? It was so, no, I'm reading the Bible. I'm just okay. not reading the whole Bible. Gotcha. We're reading the book of John. Which parts are you saying that we should cut out of the Bible? Because that's what I'm hearing you say. No, no. Yikes. I'm just trying to uh, not you know, be doing it at all times. Gotcha. It felt like last, and it was, it was a worthy goal to see through, but it's like kind of running a marathon. You know, you're going to do it once. Some of you crazy people do it more than once and then you're done. <laughs> yeah. I ran a half marathon 12 years ago. I'm like still sore. Yeah. 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 Uh, also with us today, my wife, my lovely wife, boy, mom extraordinaire, Chelsea Griffin. How you doing today, Chelsea? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Good. Happy to be a boy mom. How do you feel about Cassie cutting out parts of the Bible? What parts? Do, let's talk about it. What parts would you cut out if you didn't? <laughs> Dabbling in heresy <laughs> in the new year. It's a new season. Guys, this is episode 75. Can you believe that? That's it, For some reason, I thought we had already done 100 episodes. No. No, we've gotten 100 view uh, listens. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. that's something we're celebrating. Yeah. Another we've cup of a, mint tea for me, please. We've yes. got a lot of milestones right now. 75. For, 75, yeah. We're almost to 100. Almost, yeah. Season we'll get seven. there. Yeah, we'll get there next season. I'm excited about great. it. But I'm excited about this this season. If you didn't listen to the trailer, we listed a lot of our guests coming mm. up, but we'll have a couple. Before we get into guests, though, we're going to first just talk about a little bit of, I think, a really important topic, which is what are we kind of aiming for with these kids? If God gave you a son, what are you aiming to raise him to be? If God gave you a girl, what are you raising her to be? So next week, we'll talk about raising girls to be women. This week, we're talking about raising boys to be men. It's one of the most important questions in family discipleship, really, is like, what are we aiming for? Howard Hendricks used to say, anything times zero is zero. So if you're aiming at nothing, you're going to end up with nothing. You'll end up with exactly what you're aiming for versus knowing what a fully formed disciple is and kind of aiming for that as we're discipling our kids. What, you know, what does kind of maturing look like? Uh, obviously, uh, we could have started with a couple boys to men jokes. I didn't today. Are there any boys to men jokes you guys have? Well, I think ready your name the- for the cover band, Boys to Be Men, is ah. probably it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Start the band. Who's in now. the cover band? Like you. It, oh, I am in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Obviously Daniel Clay. <laughs> okay. For Daniel Clay. South of Royal fame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about this for a second. So if we're aiming at m- m- our kids being mature believers, that's kind of the whole idea of the podcast. Like how do we yes. raise our kids to follow Jesus? How do we know how to get there if we don't know where we're going? Like what, what kind of aimlessness happens? Is any of this making sense for you guys? Like if we're, if we're going to raise our kids to be men, do we need to know what a man is? Or do we just like, um, I feel like the excuse I hear a lot is like, I'm just going to be faithful. I'm just going to keep being faithful. But mm. that, that can also mean like, I'm just going to keep doing things I think are good without knowing where I'm trying to go. I think there's an assumption too, that it like, that this would happen naturally. Good. But The scriptures paint a different picture when it talks about like the narrow path and the wide road. There's an easy way to have things be disastrous, right? There's a wide road that leads to destruction and a narrow path that leads to life. So, um, but I think it's, it's a unspoken assumption for a lot of people that, 
just life itself will train you um, to to go from being a girl to a woman, from uh, an unbeliever to a disciple, or from a boy to a man. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. I think that if I mean, like we've said about discipleship, if you don't do it, the world will, and so they obviously will form our boys and girls right. as to what it will look like for them one day to be men um, and women. And so if we don't have an idea and have it like articulated and are able to think of a pathway to get there, then the world will just take over. Yeah. And that's a big part of this conversation. Become a I version have. of men. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe a version of men, maybe a, right. a grown man in the physical sense mm. without a grown man in the mm-hmm. spiritual or emotional sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about the two, like how, how does our society define manhood and how might we do that different? But first, let's just talk about one category at a time. So let's think about it biologically for a second. Chelsea, your oldest son is 12 years old, and I do believe that this next year is probably the year that he equals you in height. I can't wait. You think I that's happening wait. this year? Are we right there? Yeah, he's close, and I, I'm, I'm super pumped. Okay. When he surpasses you in height. Is there a difference in him? Like, is, I guess, are there some biological markers that separate boys from men? Is, is that a moment where you go, okay, you've achieved something. Now you're a man. There are definitely biological markers that separate boys from men. However, I'm not giving anybody a trophy or medal for, <laughs> for growing armpit hair. No one cares. It's, it's effortless. So not, not, not amused, not impressed uh, by any of that, but excited to see if my kids can grow a beard or whatever. That's, <laughs> that sounds cool. So is that, like, let's talk about that for a second. So biological markers, if we're saying like, I want my boy to be a man, what are the biological markers that set apart boys from men? You're the medical expert on the podcast. Yeah. Muscle mass, body hair, increased bone density. Uh, Love that. Yeah. Growing, growing in stature, things like that. Surely they're like prefrontal cortex at some point forms, right? And becomes... It, the judgment center is fully developed at 26. However, the the, the limbic center in the brain is... That's like our kind of emotional house. Okay. Um, that thing is just blowing and going at a much younger age, which is why people experience that those adolescent moments of like, I can't rationalize with you. Mm-hmm. Like the emotions are so big, yeah, so yeah. powerful. And yet I can't... I feel like we parents often feel like they cannot reason with a child in the yeah. height of their emotion. And that's right. why, that's why, you know, I think whole brain child talks about that. Yeah. It's like the amygdala and the, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. The, the, the feelings are there and the judgment is not as developed. Right. Yeah. It makes you think like if, if judgment centers aren't fully formed until their mid twenties and the kind of things we're encouraging our kids to participate in, make judgments about, be it voting for our next president or whether or not they should drink and how much or who yeah, they date. Driving. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. dating. Yeah. Who they marry. Cars they rent. Oh, that God. means Eric and I were married before his free or his prefrontal cortex yeah. was because we were 24. And that's going to be in my book called How to Trap a Man. <laughs> um, and you, you've got to get them early. Yeah. Get I'd like to down. co-author that. <laughs> Can I write the forward you or the afterword? get them early. I'll write the afterword. And just hope it pans out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. If that's a little bit biological, we believe like, um, uh, let me make clear, like, well, puberty is a mark of maturity. I think we'd all agree that Puberty does not make a boy a man. Correct. Right? And that's important because I think there is kind of an impression in Christian culture that puberty is about entering into manhood. And purity culture or uh, purity um, rites of passage would be about manhood. And while I do think there's an aspect of making the right choices, and we can get to that, that makes you a man, it's not the onset of puberty. 
that is a biological biological marker necessarily of okay now you're a man. Chelsea agree? Yeah. Disagree? Yeah, I agree. With yeah. That. Okay. Great. Well, Cassie, let's talk. Uh, let's go to you. Let's talk about socially. What's societally maybe? What's the difference between a boy and a man when you think about the way our kind of social atmosphere looks at boys and men? The Ooh, you mean like worldly kind yeah. of social? You know, like a secular mindset. Yeah, I mean, I think that they would. I think the world would say then they're ready for some side of some type of sexual expression. Mm. That to me, like, would mark the difference between boys and men in the world's perspective, and sure. so whether that's introducing them to pornography, because like their body and their hormones and everything are going, and and they're looking at girls differently, and so then the world kind of takes that and says, "You're ready for something," you know. Okay. So you think like even like a 15 year old who's like uh, addicted to porn and struggling maybe even with it. Like the society would call that boy a man? Oh, I don't know. No, probably not. Because now we have adolescence, which is like a whole different life stage. So that, did, that, that, go, wasn't, that goes to like 30 now. Yeah, yeah that wasn't like a thing a hundred years ago, right? right? Adolescence was like, that's a new thing. Um, yeah. And so you can, you're an adolescent from Oscar's age to 30. Yeah, I was, like I was joking. Men I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe 26, <laughs> but, yeah. but maybe there's this allowance for them to act like boys. Yep. But then they want kind of the responsibility of man, manhood and right. men and, and the privilege. They want the privileges. Yeah. yeah. The responsibility, not so much. Like if there is a female, whether yeah. she's a sexual partner, a wife, or their mother. Yeah. But if there is a female who is willing to propagate their video game habit, mm. do their laundry, and make food, mm-hmm. I think the age that a man is okay with that and it doesn't like cross mm-hmm. his mind of like, maybe I was made for more than this. Mm. That can, that can extend. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is why I think it's so important for us to talk about it. Cause you can hear us even talking about like this kind of, kind of, it's jello. Know, wavering, We're jello yes, to a wall. <laughs> wavering middle ground where you're like, well, is he a man or isn't he? Yeah. Is he out of my house? Well, if he's out of my house, does that make him a man? Yeah. Oh, is he old enough to devote? Does that make him, can he drive? Yeah. Can he drink? And I think societally, one of the things that I think our society would determine manhood would be achievement, uh, would be, has he done this yet? So mm-hmm. in our society, they'd say, well, if he's still a Get virgin, a maybe he's oh. not a man. Yeah. If he hasn't gotten a job yet, he's not a man. Moved out from mom he and dad. Yes. He still lives in mom's basement. He's not a man. And so there's, it's an achievement-based uh, societal uh, idea of manhood. Yeah. If you haven't done this yet, then you are not mature than you are not a man but for some people they say like oh i did that younger maybe mm. the first time you got drunk or the first time you smoked something you shouldn't they consider that like a marker of maturity even though we in christianity would be like no that's actually a really bad idea yeah. a lot of that stuff that you're yeah. saying are achievements that set apart a person as a man and define maybe as a man for us I think would be different for us well, yeah. let's talk about that for a second how does the church define manhood maybe differently than our culture would. Is there a difference between some of the things we just described, mm-hmm. biological markers, uh, the maturing of the brain, or the uh, achievement-based idea of what have you accomplished or not accomplished? Is the church looking at that and going, uh, yeah, we think the same thing, but we want a holier version of that? Or do we have mm-hmm. maybe in the church some more defined lines of like, this is, this is what makes you a man? What do you think? I'm talking about not whether we should. I'm talking about what the church does. I I think we have some like accidental secular ideology weaved in to our our theology Mm. where there's a story that always sticks out to me of when we were when we lived in Flower Mountain, a young man who was in the student ministry that maybe he finished high school. I can't remember, but is in a neighborhood where it's very important to go to college. And he decided to go straight overseas to do mission work. 
And I was just, I was really impressed and grateful for his parents that could resist the narrative um, that was really strong in that area of just college is everything. And without it, you're nothing, you know, those kinds of ideas that they could resist that and say like, no, it's possible for the spirit to lead our son um, into something else. But I do think we, we have all this woven together, like in certain, especially in like in affluent areas, you know, where you're like, almost said it would be wrong to not go to college. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. It's a sacred cow in some communities. Yes. That, oh, is there something wrong? And it's an assumptive question too. If you're a senior in high school, people ask, well, where are you going to college? Yeah. Yeah, In some communities. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. For sure. And uh, to challenge that idea socially would be hard, but I think how it applies then to manhood. I I like what you said. I can't remember your exact wording, Chelsea, but how like the ideology of the culture has infiltrated or is a part of the way we think about it, even inside the church. I think that's absolutely the case. And part of that is the church hasn't really drawn a line and said, boys here, now your man here. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't have a lot of those. No, and some, they have rites of passage, and we can talk about that here in a minute. But, uh, you know, what, what our society has created, high school graduation, as like once you are this mm-hmm. age, or turning 18, and just, and, which in some ways is arbitrary. Like 18-year-olds are very different from one another. But saying when you turn 18, or in our culture, when you turn 21, we have some lines in our culture that we said, that's manhood. Mm-hmm. And I think church would adopt many of those. And say, oh, okay, well, are you moving out? Are you going off on your own? Are you finding a job? Are you developing a career? And those are the markers we would lend towards, okay, are you a man or not? I had a conversation with a receptionist at Eastside. She's in her 80s. And we were kind of talking about her background. Cassie, she's probably 86, I think. And we were talking about when she got married. She got married um, after dating for two years. She got married at 17, I believe, if I remember right. And I was like, wow, that's so young. And she said, well... When I was young, boys were considered men at 12, she said. Yep. And again, that was societal. It's not like, oh, we've missed it or we drifted. But it is interesting to say, like, we're not in a different country. We're just in a different time period. And at her time, 86 years ago or whatever it was, minus 12, the age considered by the society to be a man, to be responsible, although you might not have moved out on your own and, and had your own job yet, was 12. And can you imagine, Chelsea, we have a 12 year old. Can you imagine me having a talk with him today and saying, today, you are a man. Yeah, I think that if that's, if that's true for like, you know, if that's broadly true for people 75 years ago, I, I think there there's a lot of errancy in that too. Yeah. You know, I think our, our 12-year-old, he's on the responsible side of, yeah. of 12-year-olds. Like he, he's... Uh, cautious and careful. He thinks about a lot of things. He does his own laundry. He does laundry. He can empty the dishwasher. He can do a lot of tasks and he can be trusted with with a lot of different types of responsibilities. And I'm so grateful that we have more time, that we're given more than 12 years to pour in because there's so many things that he is still waiting to hear from us on. And and I can tell that he wants to hear from us. He wants to be taught how to think about certain things and how to navigate certain things. Mm. He, He wants to think about driving and marriage and things like that one day, but we didn't cram that into his first 11 years. No, no. (laughs) Well, and they probably didn't either. I mean, because so much has changed in seven years, but communities stayed together. So, and they probably also weren't marrying off 12 year olds, No, but 16, 17, I mean, once they're driving and have a full-time job or, I don't know. I mean, it just things like, and they probably moved down the street or lived at home or moved in with the husband's parents or I don't know like I just think they lived in a very different way where they were still receiving a ton of input Mm -hmm. from the generations ahead of them rather than now it's like 
the goal is to successfully launch you and you not need me anymore so I can be the empty nester that does whatever I want to do. Yeah. In some ways, I think if you're going to summarize a lot of the way society defines manhood, it would boil down to what freedoms does he enjoy? And if he has the freedom to say, I don't pay rent, then we'd say, okay, that's a boy. But once he gives up that freedom, now what's interesting is because we've associated, I think those things with freedoms, then our culture has wanted to extend it. Who wants to give up their freedoms at 18? Who wants to give up their freedom at 24? I don't, I don't want to pay these things. I don't want to pay insurance. I don't want to pay for a new house. I don't want to. And so you, you give up these, you know, the, the restriction that we associate with adulthood. And even in our culture, adulthood has in many ways become negative. Like who wants to grow up? Yeah. Adulting. Yeah. Who wants all that responsibility? So we'd rather extend adolescence and that's where we market as well. Obviously like, you can do studies, you can look up the research on this, that past generations, even in America did not market to teenagers the way we do. They market marketed to adults, but because we have a culture that markets to teens and markets to adolescents and everybody aims to be younger, want to be younger, it prolongs this sense of like, I want to put off anything mm-hmm. that has to do with oh, yeah. maturity, anything that has to do with adulthood. And even as adults, people find it very appealing to be able to do things that kids do and say like, oh, this is, this is what true fun is. Mm-hmm. And true, like, I want to be free from responsibilities instead of thinking about it the way Christians do, that responsibilities actually are the freedom from yeah. what is damaging to you. So therefore, let's pursue those responsibilities. Right. But let's think about this. Uh, Cassie, you're a church worker. You work in the church. What role do you think the church could or should make in drawing a line and saying, hey, this mm-hmm. is the difference between a boy and a man? When you think about rites of passage, when you think about helping a boy know hey, this, this was boyhood, but now this is going to be manhood. How mm-hmm. can we maybe collectively do that together instead yeah. of just leaving up to houses? Or maybe maybe we should, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I mean, I know a lot of dads in our church and in the churches that we've come from that are attached with the village um, have done the rites of passage thing at 13 and they do like a big birthday thing. And, and now that John Tyson's resource is out, the intentional father and the primal path, I, we have like a... We have a couple dad groups at Northway who are reading that together and making plans for their sons. That's great. It is great. I do think, you know, what I think is interesting is if we're going to make this switch as a culture, even as, you know, as a church family, uh, then how can we invite those boys then into what it means to be men in the church while they're still under the roof of their parents and have their parents discipling them and also the church equipping uh, their parents and them. And so what does it look like to move church membership to be a little bit younger and invite them into what it means to be a member of a church and to serve the church and uh, to go on mission, all of those kind of things. And so I think you're catching us as we're real time talking about this with our student minister and he's so great. He's a huge John Tyson fan. Uh, but he's so great about this in terms of a milestone trip for the youth group and and things like that for those boys and really inviting them up, calling them up into more responsibility and like, okay, you claim, you profess faith, you claim to follow Christ. Here's what that looks like right. if you're going to be a man of God. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. 
If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Yeah, I love that. We, we shouldn't have a separate category for following Christ because you're not quite old enough. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we do that with sin a lot too, where it's like, well, this sin is serious, but not if you're young. Right. And so we'll kind of excuse mm. it a little bit and go, well, yeah. that's understandable. It may be understandable in the sense of like, well, it's common, but just because it's common doesn't mean we should normalize it Right. Yeah. and say, well, that's okay. And the same is true on the other end of like what it means to follow Christ and serve him. And if we had a bunch of churches where like the expectation was, Hey, you're, you're getting a little bit older, you're a little bit mature and you claim Christ, then serve, then let's go serve, serve at the church, serve together with your family or serve separately, Mm -hmm. but find a way where like your whole life doesn't revolve around you. I love that. And rites of passage, if you don't know what that means, right, R I T E is the idea of a ritual by which we would say we are helping you transition from boyhood to manhood. And there are some churches that certainly do that. We mentioned before, like a, a purity uh, challenge. I don't know, yeah. the purity rings and purity oh, yeah. process. And there's some great resources out there on that. But I do want to make sure that our listeners hear me say, I think that when you are helping a boy think about what it means to be a man, it has to be about more than just his sexuality, yeah. more than just how he dates, what whether or not he's biologically able to produce yeah. progeny. Like that is not the marker in the Bible of what it means to be mature. Right. There's a lot of people that are 30 years old that could make a baby or have made a baby, but I wouldn't say are walking in spiritual maturity. And maybe they one day had a a purity ceremony. Maybe they were even trained in it. Maybe they're walking in contented singleness, but there's a lot of other aspects I want to talk through. You know, Cassie, you mentioned this kind of a second ago. We talked about, go ahead. Oh no, I just had a question for you guys. uh, Two, one, I was thinking about what you've, you've done such great work thinking about self-control and that being uh, like the one of the fruit spirit and that being um, Thinking at it, thinking about self control differently. Thinking about it as something right. that's freeing us and not something that's like prohibitive. Yeah. And you know, obviously, the purity rites of passage and those ceremonies and the true love waits movement and all of that has its um, criticisms now. But I do just wonder if it was more about self control in general, 
Yeah. yeah. And it's like not just purity. It's not just like you said about your sexuality, but it's also about how you're going to steward finances, yeah. self-control with your time, with your food, like how you steward your body. Yeah. Totally. Then it's like, it's more about bringing your body into submission in a variety of ways. And because you have the power. God's giving you, you have the, the power, power to and do the authority it. And, over. Right. And we would never look at a three-year-old and say, you have power right. to control yourself right. in all of these ways. Right. We are teaching at a young age, step by mm-hmm. step. Um, but yes, to be more like you've been given power mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. body and in your mind and in your spirit by God. So now we want Steward to help it. you wield that power. Mm-hmm. Right. Adam, I thought when you, um, you've done classes in the past on like biblical manhood right. and often started by asking everybody a question of like, what's the difference between a man and a woman or, you yeah. know, a boy and a man. Will you just, will you just tell people about that? I think yeah, it's sure. a really helpful. Little yeah. Thing. Thanks for asking Chelsea. I am um, off script. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> no, I really glad you brought that up. I didn't, I wouldn't have thought to mention this, but I have done a lot of teachings for mixed company and then also for, for, especially for young men where I talk about biblical manhood and we used to teach a class on biblical manhood at our church back in the day. And uh, what I'd always start with is I'd ask the the kids or the participants who's in there, what's the difference between a, a man and a woman? Like, what makes somebody a man? And they would list out almost always, there'd be things like courage and responsible. And then there'd be some biological stuff like a man can stand up to pee and a woman cannot, <laughs> or a man can grow a beard and a woman cannot. And there's a couple things like that. And then I would look back at the list and I would say, okay, all these things describe a man, right? And they'd say, yes. And I'd say, okay, which one of these things on this list does not describe a woman as well, outside of the biological ones? And so you'd have this long list of things like responsible, godly, Courage. strong, yeah. courageous, capable. And we'd walk through, part of the point I was trying to make is that often in our culture, we think of women and men as opposites. Mm-hmm. We think of the opposite sex. And by that, we don't mean like the one alongside, we mean very different but I, I try to make the point, I've written about this before as well, is that the opposite of a man is not a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're talking about hot and cold, those are opposites or, uh, you know, fill in the blank. The opposite of man is not woman. The opposite of man is boy. That's right. The, the difference between a man and a woman, if you look at the, at the Genesis story, it's here's man created and here's woman created. And what does man celebrate? Not finally someone who's different than me. That's not what Adam says. He, yeah. He says, finally, somebody who's made like me. It's celebrating the fact that men and women are complementary to one another. It's where we get complementarian theology as well. They have a complement to one another in their likeness, in their sameness. There's something really beautiful. And while there are differences, there's not this different call in their life for what maturity can look like necessarily. The difference between a boy, like if a woman does something better than a man, our culture would call it emasculating. But that shouldn't be emasculating. A man should be able to celebrate a woman doing Mm. something better than him. What should be emasculating is if a boy does something better than Mm. you. Or if you are demonstrating what we would call, even in our culture, childish. You are acting childishly. If you are acting like a child, then that is not something that we consider godly. To to your point earlier, Cassie, and you're bringing up self-control, I'm doing a lot of work on this right now. We'll have a a book that comes out in a couple years, kind of reframing the fruits of the spirit around parenting. And one of the things Chelsea's heard me speak about this lately too, I feel like an illustration that's been helpful for me, it comes from the Bible. In Proverbs, when it talks about self-controls, it says, a man without self-control is like what? You remember? City without walls. City without walls. It's like a city without walls. And think about it in our culture. We would, we, we think 
so often that restrictions are the walls, these things that have walled us in and we can't get out. So think of it like a prison cell. You're surrounded by these walls that won't let you do whatever you want to do. And we'd call that a lack of freedom, right? And so freedom in our culture looks like the walls are removed. I get to do whatever I want. Well, the Bible says self-control or what we would call freedom is like a city without walls. That doesn't seem like it makes sense until you think about, oh, walls of a city are something to protect Defensive, the city. Yeah. So these walls aren't to pin you in and say, you're not allowed to do this. They're to protect you from something outside that would otherwise harm you. And so the illustration I've used lately a lot is the, the shark cage. The shark cage is the thing you lower into the water that has bars around you. And it, it's so that you can enjoy swimming with sharks. They lower you in a shark cage. And while it looks much like a prison cell, it actually creates freedom for you. And so what we want for our boys who are growing to be men is not that they believe, hey, finally I can do whatever I want. Now I am a man, which would be societally kind of yeah, the idea. Yeah. Your parents aren't going to tell you what to do. You get to decide what to do. That's not actually freedom. That's actually enslavement to a bad king, you being that king. It's actually a prison. It's going to create restrictions and it's going to actually, it's like a city without walls. You're going to be open to all kinds of attack that are not going to be good for you, not be able to handle them. Right. What we want for manhood is that you would enter into a submission to the restrictions that God gives you and be responsible for those things in a way that's going to set you free from the attacks of the enemy. It's the freedom of limitation and the freedom of restriction that I believe makes you like um, a Christian, a follower of Christ, let alone a, a man or a boy. And so in that self-control world, like we talked about in our self-control episode last semester, Self-control, we would call the emancipating power of the Spirit, yeah. right? the emancipating fruit of the Spirit, that now you are free from sin as your master. And manhood does not look like you are your own master, although that's what society would teach us. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you're talking about the city without walls, you think about if the walls are up, if I have this protection from what is outside and what is harmful, if the walls are up, then I am free. Right. In here. Exactly. Um, I'm safe in here too. I'm not fretting. Right. So I, I'm still getting to live and make decisions. Mm. Um, I'm able to do that in a way that can be joyful, in a way that can be yeah. abundant, um, rather than full of fear, right? And right. Ru ruled by that fear. But yeah, I think that's just such a great description that you make, that the opposite of, of a man is not a woman, it's a boy. Right. And the scripture speaks to that. And we haven't really brought up the scriptures too much yet. Let's um, get there right now. Uh, but in First Corinthians, the passage that's so often read at weddings talks so much about love. Right. And that, that love is not going away. Faith and hope go away, because uh, one day we're going to walk by sight. But love is not going away. Love is... Well, God is love. Um, so this is eternal. Um, and he talks about the ability to love. That right. if you have a lot of abilities to do other things, but of course, again, you can't actually love without self-control, right? It's putting away selfish ways, serving yourself, yourself as master. But he says, when I was a boy, I reasoned like a child. Right. And then I put away selfish ways. And all of this is within the context of love. Um, and I am so grateful that for our sons, uh, Jesus Christ is the ultimate man. He Amen. is the God man. And while Christ is our example too for, for us as women, um, I'm so grateful that he, he's a literal man that our sons can point to and go, this yeah. is actually the most manly. This is the ultimate man is someone who lays down their life for their friends. This is the ultimate man is right. someone who cares about people, but doesn't care what they think. Mm -hmm. That's freedom. That's yeah. manly. That's strong. That's selfless. Mm -hmm. That's 
that's emotionally well-rounded. It's wise. It's beautiful. We have Christ. Yeah. And so ultimately we have something very tangible mm-hmm. right. to point to for our kids, not to yeah. say it's nebulous and we're really not sure what makes a man. We can always look back at Christ yeah. and say, this is how a man acts when he has mm-hmm. grief. We see Christ weep. Yeah. We say there's nothing unmanly about that. Yeah. Amen. When, when we see someone get their ear cut off by a sword, Jesus helps. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like we just, we get to see it over and over and over again. Yeah. This is your perfect example. This is your goal. It's full maturity in Christ. We have a picture. We are not lost. We are not confused. We are not hopeless. We have a picture yep. in Christ yeah. of what manhood looks like. That's the same scripture I was going to pick, babe. First Corinthians seven. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, mine was first Corinthians 13. Oh, I'm sorry. 13. Gosh, what am I saying? First uh, Corinthians. Th- they've got a couple. 16. He also first talks about love. 2024, baby. Get to know your Bible. <laughs> sorry about that. I, I quit it's reading January. it with Cassie. Cassie and I, it's quit the Bible month. First uh, Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. We read at weddings. Yeah. But, and we pull, almost pull out of context when you uh-huh. want to talk about, and when I was a child, I thought like a child, reason like a child. It, it almost seems like, oh, it doesn't match the rest of the chapter. But that's because I believe what Paul is saying is, what does it mean to reason like a child? It means you don't have love. Selfish. You're yeah. thinking about only yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kid, you know, in the in the grocery store where the kid grabs the thing off the shelf and just says, this I is do mine. Know. I do you know, know that have kid. You been there, Cassie? Yeah, I've had that kid. And he goes, this is mine, or I want that cereal, or I want that whatever. And they just say, you're getting this for me. I want this. And they don't think at all, like, I need to listen to my parents on this. Uh, no, you just think about yourself. And we've all seen it if you have multiple kids or if your kids are social you see the way they treat each other selfishly. They just want what's good for them. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that when he became a man, he put away childish things. And what he means there is not what society means. Then I was free finally. What he means is I finally realized in manhood, I am to serve other people above myself. That's what love is. It's not yeah. selfish. It's not boasting. Yeah. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Mm-hmm. And so if anytime I talk to men about what it means to be a man. I go to first Corinthians 13 every time and I say, this is, this is our definition right here. It's really simple guys. Are you patient? Are you kind? Mm -hmm. Are you keeping a record of wrongs? Are you basically, are you like, you want vengeance all the time when somebody has wronged you? Is this, uh, are you thinking about somebody else more than yourself? And until you're able to do that, I can't call you a man. You're acting childishly. You're being a boy anytime you're being so selfish. And so I think the church can help form that, but then I also think that it should help form churches programmatically and families in their family discipleship plan to go, how do we help our kids yeah. not just uh, grow um, capable enough to have this new responsibility, but help form a heart in them that wants to love other people more than themselves. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cassie, what do you think? What comes to mind from scripture or what's popping from the things we're saying? I think um, Philippians 2 comes to mind in terms of just sacrifice and that he went from being king in the heavens to man on earth and giving up his life and just that kind of sacrificial picture of love and authority. Because I think about when I think about manhood, I the men that God has been so gracious to put around me because I've just been in ministry for so long and have known some really godly men. Um, is that they take responsibility. They're men who like take responsibility for the things they have authority of, and then they use their authority for good, for flourishing. And so I also think about John, uh, is it eight? Yeah, um, uh, with the woman caught in adultery and mm-hmm. how there's you see Jesus operate in justice and mercy uh, and also just protect and vulnerability. And so it's like he, she's so vulnerable. She's been called out in front of all those people, and then he draws the line, and he's like, he who's without sin, throw the first stone. and. Um, 
and they no one throws a stone. And then not only does he leave her there though, then he calls her up, and he's because he's so yeah. gracious to say, "Okay, now go and sin no more." You yeah. know, and so uh, to have to do that with your authority is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's Big so time. beautiful what he does. Big time. And so for men to recognize the authority they've been given by God, and then to use it for the flourishing of others, but it not be soft when it comes to justice. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 That's what I think of. Yeah. I want to say something else from the scriptures that was just taught to me this past week. And I just, I really loved it. It was talking about in Isaiah where there's the prophecy of Christ that he's going to come Mm -hmm. to proclaim good news, good news to the poor, set captives free. And then at Christ's baptism, when Christ begins his ministry, that he repeats those things. Um, that he says those things and it talks about ownership of saying, okay, what has God called you to do? And have you received ownership of that? Mm. And that Christ sets a really beautiful example. He's basically saying, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I will own those things. And as we raise our boys um, towards manhood, I want to see them take the ownership of what God called them to do. So if he called them to serve, um, to lead, uh, to care for the poor. Right all of those things, I want them to be able to proclaim that the way Christ does, to say, I have come to serve, I've come to help, I've come to lead, I've come to love, I'm here to wash feet, all of those things to take ownership of whatever God called them to do. That's excellent. And I think in a practical sense, we try to do that with kids at any age, right? Yeah. So we're trying to, even at the youngest age, we're trying to call our kids to do the way they should. So I don't want anybody to hear us say, you have to draw a line in the sand and this is the age at which to do it and this is what you wait for. We are always trying to grow our kids toward maturity. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think it is also helpful to consider what does a milestone look like for your family to say, here's when we want you to start acting like a man and start putting to death things that we would call boyish. You know, yeah. that's childishness. But of course, we're always trying to put selfishness to death. Yeah. Always trying to put childishness to death. But in our family at 10 years old, I have like a, what we call a fourth quarter of boyhood trip where I'm saying like, okay, you're three quarters of the way through what we would consider boyhood in our family. When you turn 13, I'm not saying they are a man now in the sense of like everything is accomplished and you've arrived, but I'm calling them to another level of maturity. Yeah. And I don't know that that ever needs to stop in yeah. my parent-son relationship. Right. And the truth is, like in my relationship with anybody who disciple me or with my parents or with God, I want to always be growing in maturity as well. So a man is not somebody who has arrived. A man is understanding right. that he is constantly a guy of, who's called to repent. Now, there's a lot of stuff out there on manhood. There's some of the, some of the stuff is, you know, strong manhood is toxic manhood. And I, I don't want to get into all that today about masculinity and defining those things. You know, the difference between a male and a man, you know, a lot of people are big on that. Like you can be male, but to be a man, you've got to, and what most people mean is here's an admirable trait for a person. Mm. And I do think there's, there's an idea in the Bible that a man, not as opposed to a woman, but in addition to everything that he would call men and women to men should also consider the fact that they have made, been made often stronger than their female counterparts. And how do you use your strength to serve other people? And that you've been called in a role to be maybe what our culture would call chivalrous, to serve with the strength that Lord has given you, whoever is around you, to, to have women submit to their husbands. We would not say as a way of saying, and women are subservient to their husbands, but rather we all submit to one another in Christ and in a marriage relationship and in a, in a church that has male eldership or complementarian relationship, we would see the roles that God has called men to lead, which is servant-hearted, 
humble, self-sacrificial, selfless service. And whether my son is a married man, a father, or whether he's an elder of a church one day, those are things I want for them. Yeah, I want them to grow into those things. And we're starting at any age. And at the same time, creating some milestones along the way to say, we want to make really clear what we're aiming at and what we're going yeah. towards. But uh, Chelsea, I love what you said. What we're aiming at is not like 21 or 18. We're aiming at Christ. Mm-hmm. We're always aiming our kid towards Christ. So that's what I love about it. I will say, I think that as we're talking about this topic and as even at the beginning, as we kind of stumbled through what the world would say being a man is, I think uh, there's an opportunity for the church here. So if you're on staff at a church, if you're a pastor and elder, uh, for us to strike while the iron is hot, because there's a lot of confusion right. in because. the world right now about manhood and womanhood. And gosh, if we can offer the next generation clarity, yeah. right. um, kids, well, I mean, people uh, love clarity. And so for us to be able to offer that to a generation and say, no, 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 we come to us. We can tell you what it means to be a man. um, And we can tell you what it means to be a woman. And so it's time to shore up where we are confused or don't have really clear language and teaching on it. It's uh, time probably for the church to really shore that up. Amen. In our lifetime, it has gone from a boy should be able to play with any kind of toys he wants. And there's no such thing as girls toys to if a boy plays with girl toys, he is a girl. And so it was, it, it's crazy how that has switched back and forth several times in our culture, in my lifetime. And, uh, you know, there's tons written on that. We can talk more about that maybe one day, but I love what you're saying though, Cassie, it is a chance for the Christian parent and the church to say, here's what we think a man is. Yeah. We look to Christ. Yeah. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we're driving towards. We do think a man is different than a woman, but they are not opposites. What we want you to grow out of is childishness and boyishness. And so we're going to aim at that. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple your families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners. We're looking forward to all God has for us in season six, and we will see you next Monday morning.